This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 183, entitled Paul's Use of Old Testament Yahweh Text for Jesus, Part 2. My name is Dustin Smith. I will be your host today. I appreciate you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Last week, we began looking at Paul's use of Yahweh text for both God and for Jesus. We noted last week that in Philippians 2, Paul cites Isaiah 45 in reference to Jesus. Isaiah 45 was a Yahweh passage that said, to me, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess allegiance. And Paul cites that for Jesus in Philippians 2. However, we noted that in Philippians 2, God raised Jesus and God shared with Jesus the divine name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So there's some nuance and finesse that is involved in interpreting the fact that a Yahweh text is used of Jesus because God has shared his name, Yahweh, with the risen Jesus in the sense of God empowering and authorizing this important agent. In this week's episode, we will look further at Paul's interpretive strategy for citing Yahweh passages in regard to both God and Jesus. Does Paul possess a strict practice of citing passages and using them for the same referent? Or does Paul demonstrate flexibility and nuance in his strategy of interpreting Scripture? Is Romans chapter 14, verse 11 an actual Yahweh passage cited with Jesus as the referent, as leading scholar David Capps argues? And what are we to make of the fact that Paul cites Isaiah 45:23 for both God and Jesus in different instances? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the use of Yahweh text in Paul according to David Capps. Now, we talked about David Capps last week. He is the leading scholar that deals with Pauline strategies of using Yahweh text for Jesus. He's written an entire book on it. He's got a couple of published articles for it, and he is regarded as a major scholar in this particular field. David Capps is admittedly a member of the High Early Christology Club, thinking that High Christology was something that was evident in the New Testament from its earliest conception. And he can see this in Paul's use of Yahweh texts for Jesus from a very early period. Now, in the writings of David Capps, he notes that Yahweh passages are used by Paul in reference to God in six particular places. Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Romans 9, 27 through 29. Romans eleven thirty four, 34. Romans 15, verse 9. 1 Corinthians three twenty, and 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18. Put a pen on that last passage, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18, because we will return to that very shortly. David Capps also thinks that Paul cites six Yahweh passages in regard to Jesus. 
and those would be found in Romans 10.13, Romans 14, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 2.16, 1 Corinthians 10.26, and 2 Corinthians 10.17. Caps also finds three places where allusions to Yahweh passages are used with Christ as the referent. He sees that in 2 Corinthians 3.16, Philippians 2, 10-11, and 1 Thessalonians 3.13. So all in all, we have six times that God, namely God the Father, is the recipient of a Yahweh passage. Six times that Jesus, according to David Capps, is the referent of a Yahweh passage. And three times to where there are allusions to Yahweh text with Christ as the referent. And it's very interesting that when David Capps uses this particular chart, he has the six passages for God, six passages for Christ, and the three passages that are allusions with Christ as the referent. He describes God specifically as God the Father. So we have passages where God the Father is the referent, and we have passages where Christ is the referent. It's very interesting that David Capps regards God strictly as the Father. And so it would be references of Yahweh as the Father, primarily, that are arguably being used with Jesus. It doesn't seem that David Capps is arguing that God is triune, at least in the way that he organizes this particular evidence within his writings. I think that's very telling for a scholar like him. Now we've already noted that in one of the, quote, allusion of a Yahweh passage in reference to Christ verses, namely Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11, that God has shared his name with the risen Jesus. And this is fundamentally important. You cannot miss this point. So if Jesus is the reference to an Old Testament Yahweh passage in Paul, Paul's own theology suggests that Jesus bears this name as one that has been given to him by the true God. In other words, Jesus is not innately Yahweh, but rather he is functionally Yahweh because Yahweh has invested Jesus with the divine name in a manner of sharing divine prerogatives with a qualified agent. And Jesus is certainly the agent of God throughout the New Testament. We also noted that one of the Yahweh texts cited for Jesus, in a previous episode, it was in Romans 10, verse 13, this passage seems to be a legitimate reference with Christ as the referent. It is not ambiguous. I actually will admit that David Capps is correct that this is a Yahweh text used of Jesus. However, since the Jesus about whom the readers of Romans are to call upon is the resurrected Jesus, Paul would want his readers to understand that this Jesus has been invested with God's name, as Paul states in Philippians 2, 9-11. Now thus far, we do not see evidence of Paul citing Yahweh passages for both God and Jesus indicating any intention that the reader is to thereby collapse God and Jesus into a single being. Paul does not seem to want his readers to make that interpretive move. 
the risen Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul, is subordinate to the true God, and that God is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is not confusing God and Jesus in his letters. Now, while it might be tempting to take the list of six instances where an Old Testament Yahweh passage is cited for God the Father, as given by David Capps, as a given, I actually want to explore one of these passages and see what insights it might offer us as we try to discern Paul's interpretive strategy. So let's move to our second point. Point number two is the flexibility of Paul's interpretive strategy of citing Yahweh passages. So I mentioned that David Capps places 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 through 18, as a place to where a Yahweh passage is being cited for God, namely for God the Father. Now, that's kind of assumed to be okay. Biblical Unitarians are fine with Yahweh passages being cited for Yahweh. That's to be expected. So we might think to overlook this passage, but I want to look at it a little bit more closely and to draw out some very interesting points. I hope that you too will find these particular details to be of much interest. Let me place 2 Corinthians 6, 17-18 in its context. I will start reading in verse 14. Paul says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14-18. through And there's a lot of passages that Paul cites in this particular section of his argument in 2 Corinthians. But it's this reference in verse 18. And I know the sentence actually starts in verse 17. But in verse 18, Paul says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Of course, the reference here is God. God being the father to the readers, the Christians, the sons and daughters of God. Now, what Paul is doing here is Paul is actually citing 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. And it's very interesting what is actually going on in 2 Samuel 7 verse 14. 2 Samuel 7 14 is originally about God saying that he will become the father of the Davidic king. Namely, this Davidic king was to be Solomon. Son of God was a title for the Davidic king. And so God would become the father of that king when that king was anointed for his position as ruler, as monarch. Solomon was to bear the title son of God, which is the title for the king of Israel. David had that title. The other Davidic kings had that title. And of course, Jesus bears that title as the title for the messianic Davidic king. 
Now, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14 says in the English translation that I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. To where the I is in reference to God, God being the father of him, and that reference is to Solomon. Solomon would be the son of God and God would be his father. Now, the Septuagint of 2 Samuel 7.14 says, Ego, esome, alto, is patera, ke altos, este, mi, is, eon. And if you can't read Greek, that's okay, because the English is a reasonable translation of that. Now, what's interesting is that Paul seems to be citing this passage by actually looking at the Greek version, not actually at the Hebrew version, because when Paul cites it, he has the verb, the verb to be, I will be, being the same. But when it says, I will be a father to him, Paul says, I will be a father to you, second person plural. And you, second person plural, will be sons and daughters to me. So Paul has taken this original passage, which God was to be a father to him, to a single referent, to the anointed king, and he, a single referent, will be a son to God. And Paul has taken that, and he has expanded it to now be a reference to God being the father of you, second person plural, and you all, second person plural, will be sons and daughters to me. Now, by Paul citing a Solomon text and using it for the believers that are in Christ, should we conclude with Paul's interpretive strategy that the original referent is to be strictly and woodenly identified with its New Testament referent? Clearly, the believers in Christ are not the same as Solomon, the historical Davidic king. Clearly, they are different. Now, what Paul seems to be doing here is that he's citing a passage about the anointed Davidic king, and he's using it to refer to people that are defined by the new anointed Davidic king, namely Jesus Christ, Jesus the king. So we have the original referent being a king and the new referent being people that are defined by the king. And that seems to be how Paul is making the justification for using the citation in the way that he does. Now the God who acts as the father to the original referent, to Solomon, and to the New Testament reference, to the believers in Christ, this is the same God. This is Yahweh. And he is defined in both of these passages as the father. I will be your father, you will be my children. I will be your father, you will be my son. So God is the same in both of these references. This is a Yahweh passage that is cited in regard to God the Father. That's fine. But the other detail of the original citation does demonstrate that Paul has some flexibility with his references. And this requires us as interpreters of Paul, to use some more finesse and nuance in the way that we understand how Paul cites his Old Testament Yahweh passages for someone other than Yahweh, namely for Jesus. We've already seen evidence of this finesse and nuance in our previous episode when we looked at Philippians 2, to where the Yahweh passage is cited of Jesus, but 
God has shared his name with Jesus, so it's not as straightforward as we might like. And of course, in Romans 10.13, to where the Yahweh passage is cited of Jesus, but it's the resurrected and exalted Jesus to whom God has given the divine name. So we need to be careful. We need to look at the details. We need to be able to nuance the passage and recognize that Paul has some flexibility. In other words, Paul is not a woodenly literal, strict cider of passages for these new reference in a way that is a one-to-one equivalency in every occurrence. Clearly, the episode here in 2 Corinthians 6, which cites 2 Samuel 7.14, should unambiguously indicate that particular point. Let's move to our third and final point, which is Paul's citation of Isaiah 45, verse 23, for both God and Jesus. Isaiah 45, verse 23 is a passage that is cited in both Philippians 2, 9-11 and in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. Paul seems to be citing, in both of those references, the Septuagint. And the Septuagint translation of Isaiah 45, verse 23 says, By myself I swear, righteousness shall surely proceed out of my mouth, my words shall not be frustrated, that to me every knee shall bend, and every tongue shall swear to God. That's Isaiah 45, verse 23. God is speaking. Yahweh is speaking. He's saying, to me, every knee will bow, and to God, every tongue shall swear allegiance. There's this parallelism there. To me, every knee shall bow. To God, every tongue shall swear. And this is cited, as I mentioned, in Philippians 2 and in Romans 14. So in Philippians 2, we could see that, starting in verse 9, Paul says, For this reason also God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess. So there, Isaiah 45, verse 23, is cited of Jesus. Now it's Jesus that is bearing the name of God that God has given to him. So Jesus is not innately taking here the role of Yahweh. Jesus has that role in the fact that God has shared and empowered Jesus with that particular prerogative. So there's some nuance. But clearly there, Isaiah 45 verse 23 is cited of Jesus by Paul in Philippians 2. Now the other occurrence of Paul citing Isaiah 45 verse 23 is in Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to start in verse 9 to try to get the context here. So Romans 14 verse 9 says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's Romans 14, verses 9 through 12. And so there in Romans 14, verse 11, we have the citation there, clearly, from Isaiah 45, verse 23. And we need to talk about this Romans 14, 
reference because it does begin talking about Christ who died and lived again and it ends by saying each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And this has led to a little bit of confusion as to whom is the referent being described with the citation. Now, David Capps, the scholar that I mentioned before that argues uh, for a high Christology as the conclusion of Paul citing Yahweh texts for Jesus, David Capps thinks that this Pauline passage is used of Jesus. He thinks that Jesus is the referent. And here is how David Capps argues it. He sees in verse 11, where it says, quote, As I live, says the Lord, end quote, he says this is a reference to Jesus. Since Jesus is the one who is now living, newly raised from the dead. So Jesus is the Lord, and Jesus is the one who now lives. That's the argument of David Capps. However, as the passage and the citation continues, where it says that every tongue shall give praise to God, David Capps says that this is actually a reference to God, not to Jesus. And I don't know if you caught this, but David Capps is saying that Paul is taking a Yahweh passage from Isaiah 45, and Paul is now splitting it using the first-person perspective of Yahweh talking in the original Isaiah passage. And Paul is now using that to say that Jesus is speaking. Now, the Septuagint reference, which Paul seems to be considering in his citation, deals with only one person, and that one person is Yahweh. And even though Yahweh is talking in Isaiah 45, and the passage ends with Yahweh saying that every tongue will swear to God, the reference to that God at the end is not someone that is distinguished from the speaker. When Yahweh says that every tongue will confess to God, Yahweh is referring to himself, not to someone other than himself. But David Capps thinks that Paul is splitting the Isaiah 45 passage and now has Jesus speaking and talking about God. And it should be pointed out here again that at least here, David Capps seems to indicate that Jesus and God are to be distinguished and not confused. I do want to make that particular point. Now, this interpretive move, which takes the original reference to Yahweh and now splits it as a reference to where Christ is talking about God, is really a complicated interpretive move, and it doesn't seem to be very straightforward, and it doesn't seem to be the natural and plain reading of Romans 14, verse 11. There is nothing wrong with a plain, straightforward reading of Isaiah 45, verse 23, that is cited by Paul. There's really no reason to conclude anything other than the fact that Paul is using this reference to refer to God, namely, to Yahweh. In fact, the parallelism that I've already mentioned in the citation seems to get obliterated in the way that Caps is reading. The parallelism indicates that to me every knee shall bend, and to God every tongue shall swear. That's parallelism of allegiance that is given to one person. David Capps would have us believe that it is the knee being bent to Jesus and the tongue being sworn to God as two different persons. Okay? This would suggest that Paul 
was not even able to recognize elementary Hebrew parallelism, and I think that's very, very unlikely. I think it's more likely that the entire reference from Isaiah 45 that is cited by Paul in Romans 14 verse 11 is referring to one person, that one person being God and not to Jesus. But in this case, we can be certain that Isaiah 45 verse 23 is quoted by Paul to refer to God. But it's also a passage that is quoted of Jesus in Philippians 2, 9-11. But since we noted that Philippians 2 is where God has shared his name with Jesus, so the application of Isaiah 45 can apply now to God's appointed and authorized agent. So is Isaiah 45 verse 23 cited by Paul to refer to both God in one passage and to Jesus in another passage? Yes and no. Because in Philippians 2, where it's cited of Jesus, it is a name that has been given to Jesus by God. It is not a name that Jesus innately possesses. And this is why discussing these matters requires attention to detail, nuance, and finesse. It's very important that we do that as responsible interpreters. So in conclusion, we have observed that Paul's use of Old Testament Yahweh texts for both God and Jesus is something that we can all freely admit. There is a debate on which texts actually apply to Jesus and which apply to God. Paul's own theology states that God raised Jesus and God gave to Jesus the name which is above every name. So care needs to be given when we examine the Yahweh passages cited of Jesus, especially the resurrected, empowered, authorized, and exalted Jesus. We also noted that when Paul cites a Yahweh passage for God the Father, Paul demonstrates that he is not rigid about accurately portraying the precise details of the original referent and the referent in his letters. This should give us pause and it should encourage us to pay closer attention to the details when it comes to interpreting Paul's use of Yahweh passages. And lastly, we noted that Paul is able to cite a Yahweh passage for both God and Jesus in different letters. But the meaning of this fact is that the prerogatives that were formerly belonging to God alone have now been shared with the risen and exalted Jesus. Paul does not seem to intend for his readers to collapse God and Jesus into a single being. Jesus is the recipient of Yahweh text in the manner of a representative agent who is empowered by the only true God by Yahweh himself. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please join us next week as we continue to look at the passages where Paul cites Yahweh text for Jesus to see if we can make sense of them in a meaningful and understandable way. Please look forward to that episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal if you would like to donate.
The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. It is hosted by Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.